0: up y'all and welcome back to found bites a game review series my name is brian and i'll be your host if you don't know about us we're all about testing out and finding small high quality video games this is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources if you're interested in reaching out or helping out Feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com, tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast feed you're using. Also, don't be afraid to leave some comments. If you're a developer who would like to participate in our Spotlight interview series of special episodes, please reach out through any of our channels. We would love to hear from you. But enough about the show. Let's get into our next game. (music) Bye. Book of Demons is the game for this week's episode. Book of Demons is an isometric action RPG. And some comparable games, this is essentially like a clone of Diablo, but it takes a lot from also uh, the Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance games that were, I think, on PS2 and GameCube and Xbox. Definitely takes elements from Darkest Dungeon, Transistor, Dreadnautical, and Dicey Dungeons, but at its core, it's definitely a Diablo clone. The game was released on Mac and PC in October and December, respectively, of 2018, and I think it was also in early access from 2016 on. And then in April of 2020, it was released on Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. The game was developed by Thing Trunk, which is a small Polish studio, and it was published by 505 Games which I've definitely heard a lot about. They publish a lot of big and small games, so some of the bigger games like Control and Death Stranding and some other bigger ports, uh, but also like the Banner Saga Trilogy they've uh, published as well. The game had a physical release in February of 2022 on Switch through Super Rare Games, and that just came with the box, a manual, and some cards. And there is a sequel, I believe, called Hell Card. I'm not sure if it's more DLC or attached in that way, or kind of a standalone, but that was released, I believe, in February of 2023, uh, depending on the platform, but I'm pretty sure that is out now. MSRP, the game was released at a price point of $24.99. That Super Rare Games uh, Physical Edition was available for 36 US equivalent, And runtime of the game, if you're just going through linearly, like straight through the story, you could get it done in about 10 hours. But there are plenty of extras, things you can do, mess around with other characters, and that might put you over like 15 hours. The game does have a platinum trophy for our PlayStation listeners. I don't think that I'm going to get it just because I've done a lot in the game, I feel. And the sort of in-game awards that they give you don't really match with the trophies. I've only gotten like two or three trophies, but I've gotten a lot of the in-game rewards. So I'm not sure uh, what the parallel is there. But I did buy this on PSN for 8.74 on sale, and I've put in probably about four hours into this game. I've gotten pretty far just in the linear uh, progression. But in terms of recommendation, no one really recommended this game to me. I'm not even that big of a Diablo fan. But something about like the silly art, uh, the hack and slash gameplay, and the use of cards, which is not quite like a deck builder, but I do like how that plays into uh, the gameplay and the customization. Let's get into that gameplay so this is going to be kind of a dungeon delving mentality again very diablo very darkest dungeon where you're going to be kind of going back and forth between like a hub place and then going into dungeons so let's talk about that pacing and progression in a broader sense so you're going to start in this town which is your hub And in the town, you'll see eventually more NPCs kind of showing up, just people to talk to, get some kind of lore dumps, uh, just giving you advice on what to do. But then also a lot of these NPCs are going to be who you go to to upgrade certain things or access certain new functions. But they will give you a lot of dialogue, which kind of gives story. There's really not a lot in here in terms of lore and story but you'll mess around with them maybe adhere to your leveling up and then you're going to go into the dungeon which is like this building kind of in the background so you'll be highlighting whoever you want to talk to and then you can move to the building to go into the dungeon and into the dungeon you're going to go on these runs or stints and what's interesting about this as you progress more into the game you're going to be able to choose the length of your stint and it's going to tell you how long on average it thinks it's going to take. So it'll have like very small adventure, like small, uh, medium, and then you'll unlock like larger ones. But I like this for accessibility because if you like just have a couple minutes and you want to go through a small like run into the dungeon to try and get further down, you can choose how long you're going to be in it. And the game actually has this mechanic. It explains it as this. I don't know if it actually does it, but it's called the flexoscope. And it's supposed to track your play speed and learn how quickly you get through things. And then it'll estimate how long it thinks you'll take. It'll take you to get through like this length of the dungeon or whatever. And that's fine. I don't know how accurate it is. Like, as I've gotten through, like, it's saying, like, oh, go on this medium one. It should take you 24 minutes. Sometimes it is accurate. Sometimes it's not. Obviously, it depends on how thorough you are in when you go through on the stints. I think it's helpful just in terms of accessibility and trying to give you that customization. In terms of actually progressing through the game, you're going, like, down. So it's all about depth. There are three major depths, like they'll have like Roman numeral one, Roman numeral two, and then like hell, which I think is eventually where you're supposed to go and like kill this demon or the devil that's there. And so it kind of revolves around you getting to these certain depths as like major checkpoints in the game and then beating whatever is there. So what's interesting about the stint lengths is you can go like small at a time if that's like what time you have to play the game like you want to do it in like five minute stints or whatever but it's going to take you the same amount of length to progress to the different major depths so If time is not an issue for you, you'll probably wanna go through the longer ones because then you'll, each time you do a stint, you'll get further depth. It's interesting how it's set up. And I guess from an accessibility standpoint, it is a positive. Also, as you play through, you're going to unlock different characters. So you start with the warrior class and there are really, I believe only two others, mage and rogue. So once you level up your warrior character a certain amount, you'll unlock the other two. I'm not sure how the other two function because I've only played through as the warrior, but you have slots for multiple save files for each of the character classes. I'm also not sure how the progress in the overall dungeon carries over. Like if you want to start a new character, I'm not sure if you have to start from like depth zero or you can kind of piggyback from where your last character started. So I'm not sure about that. The game also has difficulty options. There's casual, normal, and roguelike. I'm playing on normal. Casual I think is really just meant to like sweep you along and get you through the story. It's interesting how they advertise the roguelike one because i think it's like permadeath it's definitely marketed as more of a challenge i don't know how this goes again i'm not that big of a roguelike fan so if you're interested in that maybe for higher challenge maybe just to kind of make things more interesting maybe you can try that but i've been doing pretty well with normal uh, and enjoying myself once you get down into the dungeons let's talk about how you're navigating so you do have this isometric camera again right out of diablo so you're going to be moving your character around And what's interesting is that you can only walk on this path that's like in the center of all these hallways and rooms. And so as you're moving, like you have your little game piece or your character and they move almost like they are a game piece. Like you're not really seeing their legs move or anything like that. And you're gonna move through, like I said, these hallways. Sometimes you'll have branching rooms. There are gonna be a lot of things that you're gonna interact with as you're walking through. So a lot of what you're gonna be doing is just opening things like barrels and chests and like searching things on the wall. And you'll see the button prompt come up for it. And it's not always that you have to be in proximity to it. And we'll talk about, like, how you have a cursor and can access things. You'll also see, like, health and mana refill pools. So if you see, like, a, a this fountain that's red, like, that can refill your health. And I think if you use it, it, like, goes dark. But then if you, like, keep killing enemies, I think it, like refreshes which is nice uh you'll have button prompts to pass between rooms or go to the next floor but let's talk about having a cursor because this is going to be the major thing how you're accessing things whether from near or from far and again right out of diablo So I'm playing on console and I'm moving with the one stick, the left stick, but with the right stick has like this cursor that goes around much like a mouse on a PC and allows you to like highlight over things to narrow down what you're trying to interact with. So this is also helpful for like picking up gold and items. You can just move the cursor around over the gold and it'll automatically pick it up. And this is also going to come in handy for when there are enemies so that you can kind of move the cursor over whichever enemy you're trying to attack. Now it's not... like you have to physically like lock on or hit or click or anything like that it's just like the last enemy that your cursor went over uh, you'll see like a red circle come below them and like that's the enemy that you're attacking speaking of attacking let's talk about combat so you're walking in these paths in these rooms but what's interesting about enemies is that they kind of free roam throughout the room so they're not stuck to the path so they can actually block your progress like if you're trying to move past them or run away from enemies this is something that can happen. They can stand in front of you and you have to like knock them out of the way. There are also like, might be hazards that fall from the ceiling that might block your way and you have to quickly like slash them out of the way. But what I like about this is there are kind of options for how you're interacting with enemies. So if you use that cursor to highlight and then a red circle pops up below an enemy, your character is actually gonna be auto attacking that enemy so you don't have to press anything. The auto attack is kind of slow. It's convenient if like you just put it on something that's far away and walking towards you and then you're also, using the cursor to like look at what else is around because your character will like passively attack and then like before the enemy gets close you'll kill it and it'll be fine but if you're moving your character it won't auto attack so that can be a little annoying but what's interesting is that you can also free attack at the same time you're gonna find that you're probably gonna do this more often Um, so like i'm playing on playstation so i'll highlight like an enemy but then i'll just hit x really fast and they'll attack them really fast and Kind of chop away their health. What I do like about this is, once a, an enemy is like within your sight range, where you can lock on with the cursor, you can just attack them. So if you're the warrior and you have a sword, it has no how close the enemy is to you has no bearing on whether you're able to attack them. So like you can catch enemies like if one enemy is just coming into your view, like you can use the cursor and lock onto them and just like attack them really quick from far away, and then they'll just die I don't know how the other character classes like the mage and the rogue are I don't know I think the rogue has like a bow and arrow so they may have a greater range of sight but I'm not sure how it works for them but I would imagine it's pretty similar In terms of enemy display and like what you'll see and what you will interact with. So they will have a health bar, like you'll see their hearts, but you're also gonna see a lot of visuals that will display mechanics that you need to interact with. So one of the ones that you'll see pretty early on is if an enemy has like a shield that you have to break. And when you highlight over them, it'll say like, it'll show a picture of a shield and then it'll give a button prompt for what you need to do to break that down. And this happens a lot like with different mechanics or different things that prevent you from attacking enemies. But the game is actually really good about pacing the tutorials. Like the first time you see it, it'll like put up a couple screens and pause the game. Like here's how you interact with this. And a lot of it is pretty basic. And so I do like that. Some other things that you might see is like enemies that are linked to each other. Like you might have an enemy that you can't attack until you kill all the enemies that it's linked to, and, like, you'll see it visually, like these magical tethers between enemies and things like that. Some of them will have special hearts, like some hearts will be frozen, some hearts will be burning, and if you're attacking normally, it might take you, like, twice the amount of attacks to get rid of those hearts, or it might also bring up elemental things. So if you have, like, someone who has ice hearts and your weapon happens to have fire on it, it'll do more damage or it'll run them down more quickly. You'll also see some enemies that, like, revive or, like... When you kill them, another thing will spawn. And then also you'll eventually get used to consequences of killing certain enemies. And like they might have an area of effect as they die. They might explode with like disease or something like that or, or frozen or all those things are pretty good in terms of how they're introduced in the pacing and the tutorial. And eventually you'll get pretty used to it. You'll also have special enemies, and when they come into your line of sight, like, it'll introduce them as, like, Boris the Butcher or something like that. And these enemies are going to be in phases, so, like, above them you'll see, like, oh, this one's a five-phase enemy, and, like, once you kill it the first time, like, it might change form or something like that, and then it'll show your progress uh, in the bar above them. And this goes for bosses as well. So this is interesting. I like uh, the enemies that are kind of in phases It can be a little hectic once you start to have other enemies come in and, you know, kind of charge you and whatnot, but um, I like this. Most of what you're going to be doing is hacking and slashing away at a bunch of enemies coming at you, and as you kill a lot of enemies, you're going to find a lot of gold and a lot of cards and things like that. The game is very loot-driven. Like I said, you're going to have a lot of chests that you're opening So you're going to be moving your cursor, getting a lot of gold, getting a lot of cards. And so let's talk about the cards or the deck aspect. So the game kind of markets itself as having a deck building aspect to it, but it's really more so just collecting cards and choosing which ones to put in your loadout. So you will have a certain amount of slots to equip cards, and this can be upgraded. You can open up more slots to put cards. And so some of the things that you're going to get are like weapon cards, armor cards, potion cards, action or move cards. I like these. I like how it splits them up into active and passive cards. So some of the cards that you're going to equip are going to be passive, mainly weapons and armor, which kind of act automatically. So you can have a couple different weapon cards equipped and it's basically just going to apply passive effects to when you attack manually or the automatic attack. Uh, And the same goes for armor. Like as you're getting hit, the armor is just kind of doing its job. And then you'll have these active cards that are more like you have to move over and like hit them when you want to use them. So they can be specific attacks and also like using potions that's going to require manual action. And the ones that have manual actions, there might be some limitations, so they may have a certain number of charges that you can use when you're in the dungeon. They might have a cooldown, and they're going to have a mana cost. Now, mana in this game is interesting because you will have a max mana and that's gonna be in the bottom right corner. It'll be like this sphere that is full of purple things and if as you're going through the game, your mana is like 20, you're going to be able to equip cards and that's going to take up either green or purple mana. What's interesting is if you equip passive cards like weapons and armor, that's going to lower your total mana that you have available. So for example, if you have 20 mana and you equip like a weapon that's five and an armor that's five, On the card, the card will be green, and it'll say it costs this much. When you look at your mana pool on the bottom right, after you've equipped those cards, it's going to say 10 out of 20. And if you look at the sphere, like half of it will be green and half of it will be purple. And so what that means is to equip those cards, you have to lower your max mana. And when you go into the dungeon, you're only going to have 10 mana available to use active actions and so what that means is like the active cards that you have have active mana costs so for example if you only have 10 mana and you have like attacks that require purple mana because active cards are purple, when you're in the dungeon, you're only going to have a pool of 10 mana to use that card. And so it creates this need for specific strategy or variation in what type of cards you equip. You can go all passive cards, you can go all active cards, or you can do kind of a mix. I like a mix um, because you want like a nice balance between like, okay, I want my weapon or my armor to be able to do this, but I also want to be able to like use a potion or attack enemies if you know it's getting pretty hectic, or you know do like an area attack uh, whenever I choose. What's also good about this is as you're going through a dungeon, like you can pick up other mana. Like you'll be able to replenish your mana or your health as you go through the game. So it's not like you only have 10 purple mana when you're in this entire dungeon. You're going to constantly be able to refill that, or even get passive cards that will regenerate mana or regenerate health. So there's really a lot of customization, like I said. Um, that can make this really interesting and fun. And then in terms of advanced stuff, like you can upgrade cards. You will get cards that need to be identified. You'll have to find like rune cards that allow you to upgrade cards. You can fuse runes together to then get more complicated runes and upgrade cards even more. Um, And you will also find card variations, which is kind of interesting. It's different from upgrading cards. I don't really know why it exists because it's not really that interesting, but like you might find a really good card and then find a variant of that card and you can just kind of switch to the other variant when you equip the card. But all of these things that you're gonna upgrade, whether it's cards or IDing them and stuff like that, you can do that in the town when you get back. But you can equip and change cards at any point. In terms of your character, as you're going through the dungeon, you will eventually level up. And when you level up, it's kind of interesting because you can choose to add one to your max health or one to your max mana. And whichever one you don't choose, it shows this visual of it going into a pot or a cauldron. The cauldron mechanic is interesting because as you level up, it'll kind of build up all of the ones that you didn't choose in this cauldron. And then when you go back to town, there's this person that has the cauldron and you can pay to access whatever is in the cauldron and get that. So it's almost like if you collect a lot of money and level up, you can level up both of your stats consistently if you go back and you pay for what's in the cauldron. And so in the cauldron, you'll have those extra points that you didn't choose, whether it was health or mana, but then you'll also accrue like different prizes of more money. So it's very loot driven. It's very much just like, keep chugging like upgrade your character and get more money so that you can upgrade your character get more money in terms of the dying mechanic i think this is where a consequence comes in so if you do die i believe your cauldron gets emptied and so as you go back to town the first few times like the game will tell you like hey it's you know, really a risk not to take the cauldron now because you might die and lose whatever's in there. So you can kind of hedge your bets if you're going through the game like I've been, which is like not really dying that much. I kind of wait for the cauldron to kind of build up a bunch of like mana level up points and and whatnot. And so I get more bang for my buck when I do empty the cauldron in the town. And upgrading your health and mana is not just through leveling up. You will actually find things in dungeons that just give you an extra health point or an extra mana point. So the game is really kind of pushing you to, To Get your character better and really trying to bolster you up. And also when you get to town, that's when you can pay to open up more card slots. And I believe the max is 10. But the price for getting another slot is going to increase like almost exponentially. So it's again, really pushing you to kind of be loot driven, find a lot of gold, which may be pushing you also to do longer stints when you go into the dungeon. The game does get a little tougher. Like I have gotten to depths where like I've been in a couple of close calls where like it's almost bullet hell and I'm in peril and I do have to quickly move over and use potions quickly. But I do like the challenge. Um, and most often like there'll be a moment where it's like a bit overwhelming, but then you kill a couple enemies and then it's like, okay, now I can breathe now. So I do like that ebb and flow of that pace there. Let's talk about the vibe of this game. So let's start with visuals. It is pretty dark, so supposedly dungeon-like. It's trying to you know obscure your view or make it a little kind of spooky or unknown. What's really interesting is that your character and a lot of the environment in the town and whatnot is like paper. It's almost like cardboard cutouts or like a pop-up book. So it is kind of promoting this visual silliness and the game definitely doesn't take itself too seriously. Like, there are sometimes, like, if you're talking to a character or, like, there's a bit of a cutscene, you know, a piece of a character might fall off or a piece of, like, a tree might fall off. Like, it's definitely very light in terms of uh, mood. The enemies kind of vary in their visuals. Uh, a lot of them are just, like, these tall guys that are, like, almost cardboard things put together, but you will definitely see a lot of animal-like ones. Like some of the bosses are pretty cool. Like one was like a a big scorpion or a crab or whatnot. Uh, It does show a lot on enemies with colors, especially if they're like elemental. Like if you have one that's like a frost enemy, like it's clearly got a blue to it, something they're projecting out or whether it's like the base of them. Um, So colors do play a role and they do obviously stand out because most things are dark. As you're walking on the walkway through these dungeons it will show footprints and the game is trying to communicate to you what the footprints mean so if it's normal footprints like just in black it's just telling you that you've already been there if you go down an entire hallway and get everything in, it'll fill it with like gold footprints. So it's trying to really communicate to you visually there if you've finished going down a particular road. And it'll do that on the screen, like visually on the walkway, but also on the map screen. But in terms of the dungeons and the environments, it's a bit samey. You're gonna see a lot of the same things. You're not gonna see much variation, certainly not in color or brightness. So it kind of lends you to believe that a lot of these dungeons are procedural, which is fine you know there's something wrong with that but you're not really going to see much in terms of extravagance in the environments in terms of audio uh, the music is kind of ominous you know dungeon creepy you'll hear a lot of sound effects um, nothing that's really unexpected I do like the voice acting it's good it's really silly it can be over the top at times it really reminds me of Dreadnoughtical. I know in Dreadnoughtical it was, like, really rampant with stereotypes and, and whatnot, but it is kind of funny to hear some of them talk sometimes. And even your character will have, like, idle dialogue. Like, if you go into an area, it be like, oh, I'm ready to go or something like that. Thematically, there's really not a lot here, especially in terms of what you're doing. Like, you're just going into the dungeon, and I think you're getting the vibe that, like, oh, you need to save the town or whatnot or... Uh, and it might talk about demons or the devil because you are trying to go like all the way down to hell but I don't really know what I'm doing in this game in terms of story and I really don't care it's fine but there's really not a lot that you're getting there is a lot of dialogue sometimes when you come back to the town but I kind of like skipped through a lot of it because it was oh centuries and you know our family has been in and uh, you know it's it's just not really pulling me in that way and again that is fine it's it's not really why I come why I came to this game, I feel. let's wrap up the conversation about Book of Demons. So I think this is a solid dungeon delving loot driven, you know, hack and slash game. I really enjoy the combat and some of the challenges that come about, especially as you get to further depths. I haven't really tried the other classes. I don't know if I will, but that option is there. If you're like not into the warrior, you can check out the mage and see how that changes things. I'm pretty sure that there are different cards that you access with the different classes, so that can really change up the gameplay if you're interested. I like the card customization. I like the strategy, especially with the warrior, where it's like I could you know do more passive cards or more active or a nice mix and so i do like trying those things out i think the loop is pretty satisfying i know it's simple like you go you find loot you come back you upgrade things you know you identify or maybe upgrade cards better your loadout go back in but i think it's it's a very no pressure game especially the ability to choose your time commitment as you go in and so that accessibility i think is pretty invaluable the option for making it roguelike or doing the roguelike difficulty i think is really interesting it's not something that i'm gonna go for but i think it might lend itself to more fans of this genre especially diablo fans i don't think i'm gonna beat this game but it's a game that i might jump back into and i don't really need to know anything it's just like walking around and slashing Um, so it's a pretty safe pick up and play in terms of value 25 bucks i think that's really steep for an msrp i think they would do better at 15 for an msrp but even still i probably wouldn't get this game unless it were under ten dollars on sale because i think that's ideal again i'm not saying that there's not value here i think it's really good but I don't think it's worth 25 bucks, especially considering a lot of the other games that have that MSRP, like your Dodgeball Academia, your Hat and Time. I just don't see the depth here uh, as much for that. So under $10, I think is great. And if you're, again, a Diablo lover, if you like Baldur's Gate, uh, Dark Alliance games, I think you would really dig this game. It's cheaper option if you find it on sale. And I think the gameplay is really satisfying. So I do recommend this game. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you.